Well, I see that at the back of the room, there is someone to celebrate. I was hoping so. Hallelujah. So if everybody here can turn, they can see, they can't really see him. (laughs) Baby Micah, I don't know, Isaac, do you want to bring him up to the front so that those who haven't made it here this morning get to see him? (laughs) What a delight. Look at this little baby. Baby Micah. Now, is there anything you'd like to share with us, guys, that you want us to be praying onwards for baby Micah? So, you know, people only know that he was born. We haven't shared everything that's been going on this week. So thank you, Isaac. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> Good morning. Um, oh, do you want to say something? Um, he was born eight days ago, and uh, everything went well, and uh, we were supposed to be discharged on Sunday morning. And I went to pick them up, and his respiratory rate went up, um, I think, uh, four times of what his, it should be, so 120. And... Um, uh, his oxygen dropped to 75%, and he was not doing very well, essentially. So he was in ICU for four days, and um, um, was, we were quite worried for him. And both of us being medical, uh, we knew exactly what was happening, and we were really worried that he, he might not make it. But here he is, and he's well, and, and thank you for your prayers for all, all, all of you who prayed for him. And yeah, he's, he's absolutely fine now. Thank you. That's awesome. Stay there. Mark, come and pray. (laughs) Do you guys want to join them or is that too much hassle? (laughs) You're joined in spirit, don't worry. I think they're coming. Here they come. It's always a joy to celebrate the the birth of of a new baby. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for for Michael, Lord God, and for his brothers, and for his parents. Lord God, we pray for your shalom blessing to rest upon their home, Lord God. And we pray for your spirit to rest upon Micah. From this moment forth and all the days of his life, Lord God, may he walk listening to the voice of your Holy Spirit. May he fall asleep, Lord God, pondering on your word. May his joy, Lord God, may his delight, Lord God, be in you all the days of his life. Set a straight path before him, Lord God, and may your blessing rest upon him and his entire family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you, Christine. Oh, isn't he gorgeous? Oh, my goodness. Oh, may good health follow him every day of his life. May his lungs be filled with the Spirit of God, with the breath of God. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, Somebody behind the camera, can you tell me if I'm still on screen or have we moved everything around too much? Okay, awesome. Okay, my husband's looking at his watch. He's worried because he knows I've got nine pages in front of me. So he's going to enjoy the fact that I'm going to meander just a little bit longer. Okay, so if you can't be bothered to listen to my sermon all the way through, I suggest you go and play Amazing Grace to yourself again and again and again and uh, just ponder on the words of that song because actually that's pretty much sums up the entire sermon. The whole song just sums up the sermon. Um, But 
I want to give you a little kind of insight into my life. So before I come to church, whether I'm preaching or not, I tend to, I mean, unless it doesn't grab me and God takes me in a different direction, but I tend to actually watch TBN. You know I say I'm not on commission from TBN, Um, but I do advertise it a lot because I think we have a lot of rubbish on our TVs, and I'd rather have that coming through my TV most of the time. So it's on most of the day, every day anyway. Um, And it's there for the dogs, if I'm honest. It's there when I'm out and a dog is left alone. They've got TBN coming. (laughs) Spirit of God in the house. Okay, so I've got Christian dogs, obviously. Um, So um, one of the things that I was watching this morning, so there's two two programs that are on before I come out to church. Um, One is a Canadian guy, and I can't remember his name or the program's name. Mark, can you remember? Never mind. Um, But anyway, he... The contemporary... It is, that's right. Leon Fontaine. Contemporary... Uh, Spirit-Filled Life, I think is what it's called. And then followed, um, following that is a California church, Shepherd's Grove, uh, with Pastor Bobby Shuler. It's Happy Church, as we call it. They, they're, they're quite a traditional church. And when I first saw them on TV, I remember going, well, that's not my style. And the, and the more he was on my TV, the more I got drawn in. I love it. I love it. They've got all these traditions and things within it. Um, but I absolutely love it. And what I love about God is that there's something for everyone. There's a little bit of an ice cream, you know, mix here in the world. Um, you don't, if, if Hope Church isn't for you, well, fine. But go find somewhere else. Don't just sit at home hoping that something will come and zap you from God. Okay, you need to be connected into a church. And my heart is that, so much so that actually the whole time I've been writing the sermon, I have gone back and back and back to that, and it has nothing to do with today's scripture. So maybe I do need to say it again, you need to be connected in church. So I'm speaking specifically to the camera now, to you sat at home whenever you are catching up with this. If you are sat at home because you're not connected to a church, I want you to go and get connected to a church. I mean it. I can't tell you strongly enough how important it is. And you know what was happening in the two programs I watched? They actually kind of came together into one little message that I have to give you before I preach the sermon because it kind of sums up the whole sermon as well, just like Amazing Grace does, but in a different way. Okay, so I'm going to read to you a scripture Paul Mark hasn't got to put on the screen. It's Romans 12, 1 to 2. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, so when you go through testing times, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what's so wonderful about that scripture is it says a couple of things, and I can't preach on the whole thing, obviously, right now, because I've got another scripture to get into, and I do believe that God has led us into this long walk through Luke. So I will be coming back, don't you worry. But what's really important is that we're being told in that scripture, which is a key scripture for the Christian life, to not conform to the world's ways. And I believe that right now there are a lot of people who are conforming to the world's ways. And one of the reasons we are conforming to the world's ways is because we are seeking after happiness. And what he says here is that when you are transformed, when you do not conform, when you do not go about life the way your mum did, your dad did, the way you were brought up, the way um, the world does, when you do not go about life making choices on a Sunday to go and play golf because it makes you happy... Or or to go and look at the sea because it fills you with God's wonder. You know what? Those things are great. Not on a Sunday morning. Not right now. Right now you need to be connected with God's people while you can. 
Because I'm telling you that what we've been through in COVID is not something um, that we should take lightly. And the privilege of gathering together is not something we should take lightly. And I need to tell you, I'm in all passion. And I said this earlier, didn't I? I said, there's a growl inside me and I don't even know why. There is a Holy Spirit growl inside of me right now. I'm not looking at notes. I don't have anything to share with you from notes right now. And I will get back to them and I will preach most of what I have here. But I need to tell you from my heart as a pastor, those of you who are missing here today, those of you who connect with us from other towns because you are not going to your churches, you need to get back into fellowship somewhere. And you don't like this and you have turned me off and that's your privilege. But I am telling you right now, and yes, I'm shouting, and yes, I am filled with the Holy Spirit because I'm telling you there is a bigger problem ahead, my guys. There is a bigger problem ahead if we carry on conforming to what feels good. Because we were not brought into God's kingdom to feel good. And that is what this scripture is all about. And that's where we're going today. It's hard stuff. We are not here to feel good. Okay, so just get that out of your system. Go play golf on Saturdays. Take Wednesday off work. I don't care what you do. But you need to get back to Getting your priorities straight. I preached it a couple of weeks ago. It will not leave me. Priorities need to be in place. Because here's the thing about Romans 12, and I don't know if Mark found it while I was talking about it, but Romans 12 verse 1 to 2, you can look it up if you want. It goes to the fact that when you are transformed by the renewal of your mind, when you are transformed as you are supposed to be, when you step into the Christian life, it's not done and dusted. It's a transformation process that carries on. You carry on growing, okay? And so when you are transformed... Then you may discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The happy comes at the end. The happy, not at the end end. You can have happy now. I promise you, I have happy on a daily basis. And if anybody knows what's been going on in my my life over the last few weeks, um, then you'll know that happy isn't necessarily promised in some of the stuff I've been going through. But actually, I can have, I have had happy in every day because we get to what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So it's part of the promise, okay? Do not conform. Don't live for the world. Don't live in the way the world does. Don't live in the way you were brought up if you weren't brought up this way because you need to be transformed. And that, I could just sit down, drop the mic, and we're done. But I will get back to the scripture that God has given us this week. Um, but I will say that sums it up, okay? Because it is about sacrifice and our spiritual worship, what our true spiritual worship is. So let's get into the word today. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have laid before us a direction to take the church in. Lord God, I thank you that you have planted Hope Church and that, um, Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for it that Mark and I can even imagine yet because there's even more, Lord God, and I really sense that you're bringing into us into a new, new season, Lord God, an even newer season, Lord God, not just a post-COVID, you know, pull ourselves up season, Lord God. I know that you have a season of abundance for us, Lord God, where your spirit will flow, Lord God, where people will be physically healed and uh, and walking in your spirit, Lord God, and transforming the lives of those around them, Lord God, because I know that you have way more for each and every one of us. So I pray right now, Lord God, that as we come to the word, that you will enlighten us, that you will open our eyes and our minds and help us, Lord God, to make the transformations we need to make, Lord God, to be walking in every day to achieving that that is good, acceptable, and perfect. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay. 
Luke chapter 6. This is where we've got to. 40-something weeks of preaching through Luke. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 42. Okay. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Again, I could just drop the mic. I don't think we need to actually really dig into this, but we're going to anyway. I mean, I don't think there's many parts of the Bible that don't really need a lot of unpicking. I mean, it is what it is. It says what it says. It does what it says on the tin, but let's go through it anyway. Now, this entire passage of Jesus' teaching can be summed up as get yourself right before you show others how to improve. Modern society will often help us think that we must be self-aware. You must become more self-aware. But look, Jesus said it years ago. What I love about this passage is actually that each and every one of those verses could stand alone and are perfect truth because they are backed up throughout the Bible as standalone sentences. But... When you look at all the verses together, those verses together, in the context in which Jesus said them, you can see a bigger picture. And that is a picture of a person who takes more effort in improving himself than in trying to fix everybody else. And let's be honest, it feels much easier to try and fix someone else than have to look inside and make the changes necessary to transform our own lives and thoughts. It's much easier to criticize someone else than deal with those same faults usually in our own lives. Remember, one finger pointing forwards leaves three pointing back at you. Jesus' big message here in Luke 6 is be self-aware. What you are feeling about others might be a shadow of what you need to deal with in yourself. You know, earlier in my writing of the sermon, it said reflection. It's not a reflection, it's a shadow, because that thing sticking out of your eye is causing a shadow over the person you are trying to deal with, because you have your own issues to deal with. I love that Jesus' teaching is never designed to make us feel comfortable, and I do love that. I love the fact that he stretches us And he wants to make us usable, not comfortable. He wants us to make us usable for his work on earth. 
He wants to make us usable to see out his purposes, which, by the way, are the best purposes on earth today. And I have to say, and I'm circling back to where I started, if COVID has left you feeling lazy or complacent, and the idea of being useful to God does not fill you with excitement, then you've moved further away than you think from God's purposes for your life, my friend. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. We are created to do good works. We are not created to sit on our blessed assurance. Our true worship to God is not singing hymns, and I love to sing hymns, so thank you, Michelle and the team. (laughs) But I want to be clear, that's not all worship is. It's pouring ourselves out because God is worth it. I like playing with words, worship, worth it, okay? Worship is giving all that we have and are to God who needs nothing but deserves everything, every last part of me. I once had a picture of being like a a burning incense, you know, like we're lit and actually we are being, you know, consumed and and we're letting out this beautiful aroma. Um, So, you know, that's what worship really is. Christians should not live to please themselves, but rather live every day to please God. The New Testament is like a handbook for the saved to make the most of their salvation. This is it. This is the handbook. Therefore, Jesus' teaching should cause us to frequently make those adjustments to our attitudes in order to better use this brief time of our lives. And this time on earth is brief, that we can use it to his purposes to the plans he has for us so as I teach from the scriptures today I suggest we make a decision right now to be more self-aware to apply the teaching to ourselves to use our ears to listen and have our hearts engaged rather than our elbows engaged going I hope so-and-so is listening which is how many of us listen to sermons I certainly hope that person tuned in on the recording (laughs) so You can air nudge each other if you like and go, I hope you're listening because this is the only nudge I'm allowing, all right? Right, let's dig into today's scripture reading. The first part says, Luke Luke 6, sorry, verse 37. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. One of the problems with taking such a slow walk through the book of Luke or any book is that we have to put unnatural splits in the teaching And here is one of those situations, because today's reading might actually be better started with the end of last week's passage, because this is what we read last week, Luke 6, verse 36, be merciful, even as your father is merciful. And that's because the do not judge, do not condemn, do forgive is only possible out of mercifulness, out of mercy. And it is only possible because God has shown us so much mercy. 
Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can only live up to Jesus' advice here in Luke 6 because we've been given the grace and help to do so. So we have received mercy. We must pay it forwards and deliver mercy to others too. Okay, let's take each of these points one by one a little bit. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Now, here's the thing. Newsflash. The command to judge not does not mean exercise a universal acceptance of every lifestyle and teaching in the world. Have you noticed how the world will throw that command at you, though? Jesus' command. Jesus says, do not judge. Can't judge me. Don't judge. Because they want us to approve of everything. That's not actually the teaching of the Bible. For example, Jesus says in John 7, verse 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So he's telling us to judge in one way or another. And the Apostle Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14 to 16, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You know, the Christian is called to show unconditional love, not unconditional approval. And these two things are different. And when we judge things with the mind of Christ, we're not being led by our flesh, but by our spirit. So let me be very clear. We are supposed to make certain judgments in our hearts because that's what keeps us from sin. Now, this is not about judging other people. Make sure that you're with me here. We're talking about you have to make a judgment. You have to make a judgment call on something. Your friend tells you to go to an occultic meeting. You've got to make a judgment. You can't just approve of everything that comes along. But it is what comes after and with judgment that Jesus includes in this passage. He says, condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. See, it's not the judgment decision about something or someone, whether they're right or wrong, that is summed up in the scripture. It's the judge's sentence that is the key. Jesus says that the sentence that we pronounce over our fellow man should be forgiveness, not condemnation. And this is because we are called to love not condemnation. What did Jesus teach us? He said, love one another. There is no portion of scripture that you will read Jesus saying, condemn one another. And remember, it all starts with mercy. Be merciful as your father is merciful. James 2 verse 13, the end of it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus calls us to mercy rather than judgment and condemnation over our fellow man, because he knows our limitations. Because as he points out in John 8, verse 15, you judge according to your flesh. And it's natural. We judge from our own point of view. We observe sins that we're not tempted to commit. 
And therefore, we judge them a little bit more harshly because we don't struggle with that. So we can't understand. We have no empathy in understanding that someone else may be struggling so hugely with that thing. We make excuses for our own sin and we accuse others much more harshly. And that's a natural human kind of approach to things in life. But whilst we do that, make no mistake, God is observing. And I believe he is making a judgment. Be careful on how you think about this. But he is making these small judgments on our unforgiveness and our lack of mercy in each situation. He is noticing. Guys, you are so loved by God. But newsflash, that sinner you're judging is also so loved by God just as much in equal measure. Jesus loves those sinners to death. Don't assume you're better than them. Show the same mercy you have been shown. So, as I wrap up this section, to be clear, making a judgment of what is right or wrong is within our job description, but how we proceed from there is what's important because condemnation is never our job. I'm trying to be quick, but here we go. I'm going to use it anyway. Sorry. Okay. This is why James 4 verse 12 says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Look at yourself first. And judgment to condemnation are the work of God the Father alone. Now, if you go to John 3.16, the biggest verse of salvation in the Bible, and you read it through to verse 18 or actually to verse 20-something, and I've cut it out here and I don't want to spend a lot of time in it. You know, it says, God loved the world. He gave his only son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. So God's got it in hand. He's got the condemnation in hand. It's not yours to dish out. Condemnation is not yours to dish out, but forgiveness is yours to dish out. Forgiveness. See the word. It has the word give in it because it's yours to give. You can do this. None of us can judge others to condemnation because when we do, we truly are the hammer calling the spanner a tool. Or as Jesus puts it, we're the blind leading the blind. Let's read on. Luke 6, verse 39 to 42. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. You cannot lead Someone out of trouble, which is usually what we think we're trying to do, by the way, when we're doing this judging and condemning. We cannot lead people out of trouble safely if you can't see anywhere ahead of yourself. 
Okay, what are you doing? It's the blind leading the blind. Spiritual knowledge and spiritual insight viewpoint is so important. It's the key to this entire teaching from Jesus on the plane. You see, your most hidden thoughts are being challenged here. Your point of view is just that. It's yours. It's not necessarily God's point of view. There's no hidden meaning in Jesus' illustration here of a man with a plank in his own eye trying to help someone with a speck in their eye. He's actually probably making a joke here. He's describing a humorous picture. There's no hidden meaning. I don't need to, you know, break it up for you. It is what it is. Jesus means a literal speck, like a little piece of sawdust compared to a literal log or plank sticking out of your own eye. He wants his listeners to be entertained by the absurdity of the picture that he paints. That someone would ignore such a large piece of wood sticking out of their own eye to fuss over removing that tiny little fleck in someone else's eye. My father-in-law used to call people who displayed a silly attitude a plank. It probably comes from as thick as two short planks, I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, he used to call them a plank. Oh, a plank. The guy in this illustration, with a log in his eye, is indeed a plank. This plank is blind to his own obvious faults. And Jesus says that if you are like him, you are a hypocrite. Spurgeon said, Jesus is gentle, but he calls that man a hypocrite who fusses about small things in others and pays no attention to great matters at home in his own person. So I want to ask you, how do you view yourself? How do you view others? Is it with a judgmental attitude, with a condemning heart? Or with love, mercy, and forgiveness? And is your view, ask yourself, is your view distorted? due to an abstraction that is messing with your focus. The question here is, can you learn to be better? Yes, that's what's so good about the Christian life. It's never just, a, oh, that's rubbish then, I'm stuck with that. Jesus said so, Luke 6, verse 40, we just read it. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. But this is only possible if we will become fully trained. Now, training is something we choose to undertake on purpose to improve ourselves. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 to 8 says, Have nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life, promise for the present life, and also for the life to come. Jesus says we'll become like those we follow, so choose your teachers wisely. Jesus pointed out in verse 39 that we should beware of blind guides, the blind leading the blind. And of course, if you want to read ahead, you'll find that Jesus calls the Pharisees that. Jesus really is the only life-training coach with perfect vision and understanding that you could find. And you can rely on the training manual that he's given us. It contains all that we need for a good life. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent. Competent, I like that. <laughs> just, just be competent. That would be a start, wouldn't it? Um, and equipped for every good work. Now, before I finish, thankfully I have the time. Jesus is good. I'm going to circle back to a scripture you probably thought I ignored or overlooked. But it's the one of those Bible verses that most often gets quoted out of context, which is why I've left it to the end here, you know, to uh, quote it out of context again. <laughs> Luke 6, verse 38. Let's go back into the scripture. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Preachers will often quote this verse to encourage people in their financial giving to God. But do you remember what I said at the beginning of today's message? This little portion of scripture, actually you can take every single one of these sentences out of context and they still stand up alone, however you want to apply them actually, because they are backed up by the Bible. So yes, actually here... It is in the context of giving forgiveness and mercy. But is it backed up in the Bible in the way that preachers sometimes use it? Yes. And I'm just going to prove it to you for a moment. The statement that if you give, it will be given to you is true in every context. Sorry, I'm just reading my notes there. Right, okay, so financial giving. And just to be clear, this first um, scripture, if you want to go and look at it properly, 2 Corinthians 9, 10 to 11 is what I'm going to read, but just before that, it is very clear that this is definitely talking about financial gifts. He says this, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed, pressed down, shaken together in abundance, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And he is very clearly asking people to give financially there. Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. I like that. And he will repay him for his deed. You will not be worse off. Malachi 3 verse 10, always quoted as well, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. You know, he's like, let's see to the practical stuff. Bring your gifts to see to the practical stuff. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I'm not going to speak on financial gifts any more than that. You want to chat to me about it? I love to talk about it because God is good. Um, but it also, given it will be given to you, is true of your time and energy. Matthew 11 verse 28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Colossians 3 verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And you can go read for yourself Isaiah 40. It's around here somewhere, somewhere about the fact that he looks after the weary, you know, and uh, that we will soar like eagles. Okay, what about give and it will be given to you in the area of mercy and forgiveness? Mark 11 verse 25 says, and of course, 
by the way, that is the context it's in. So here as well, and in Matthew. Um, but here, let's have a look. Mark 11, verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Give, and it will be given to you. My own experience is that when I give to God, and I mean specifically actually in the area of finances and my time or energy, God always gives back to me. I am never less good because of it. But we need this encouragement across the board because if we examine our hearts, we are reluctant to give financially. We are reluctant to give of our time and energy. We are reluctant to give mercy and forgiveness because we wrongly think that we will lose out somehow in that giving process. Again, I tell you, I promise you, I've experienced it my entire life, but especially these last, I don't know, however many years I've been married to my lovely husband, he has taken us on a good, strong journey of how he never lets us down when we give of our finances, time, and energy, and of course, that exercise of giving mercy to others, which is not easy, and I'm not saying it is, by the way. It is not easy at times. But it's just another one of those upside-down things from God's kingdom that we've been talking about for all these weeks. When you do give, you will not lose out. In fact, you will gain more back. And by the way, definitely not preaching that if you give 30 pounds, you'll get 300 back or 3,000 back. But God knows how to give back. God knows how to give back to you in abundance, pressed down, shaken together. So I really want you to get that you will gain when you give. But you shouldn't give to gain, obviously. Um, (laughs) You should give because he tells you to. (laughs) Okay, Um, going off, stay on track, woman. Um, So in or out of context, this scripture is worthy of attention. And it should be our motto to live by given it will be given to you the measure you use will be the measure used to you now I just want to briefly talk about the measure we'll get in there husband I'm on it I'm going to talk about the measure though is that all right is everyone all right yeah good roast isn't going to burn the measure we often think about is like a measuring cup or a basket used in weighing out grain in those days and as I said before there's nothing hidden in this that is actually what Jesus means okay But as I wrote this, I realized that God's giving to us is immeasurable. There are no sides to his measuring cup. It's without walls. There's no limit to his generosity. And I think he simply expects us to take the measurement off off what we give as well. I think he expects us to place no limit on our mercy or forgiveness to others. And more than that, Possibly, when the scripture says that with the same measure we use, it comes back to us, it might be talking about our capacity, our measurement, our ability, our cup, our measuring cup, for God's grace and mercy in our own lives. You see, your capacity for forgiveness of others, to be able to forgive others, is a reflection of your capacity to receive forgiveness. And your condemnation of others might be a reflection of how much condemnation you feel you deserve. And the way you judge another is usually, and even the world tells you this, is usually a reflection of things you need to sort out in your own life. And that does put an important spin on it. I wonder if it's less that God will condemn you more if you dish out condemnation on others, but more that you will feel more condemned than you actually need to be feeling 
because his grace covers you. And we know that ultimate judgment and condemnation and forgiveness for the believer is completely dealt with through the cross. But in my experience, I have witnessed in my own life that when I am disobedient to God in any area, if he's told me judge not and condemn not, then I can do it, okay? He's not telling me to do something I can't do. Okay, but if I am disobedient in any area, it affects my Christian walk, my daily walk here on earth. It either affects my prayer life or my peace or my blessings. So it is in my opinion that your capacity to walk in his promises will be negatively affected if you do not exercise your God-given mercy over others. And that's why Jesus taught us, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us when he taught us to pray. We select the measuring cup of blessing into our lives through our attitude. So I'm going to draw it to a close now. You'll all be glad to know, especially my husband. Before it ever became a fashionable phrase, Jesus taught us to develop self-awareness. We are called and equipped to offer mercy to forgiveness, not judgment to condemnation. And what you have been feeling about others might be a shadow of what you need to deal with yourself. So don't be a plank. Remove any logs from your own eyes before attempting to fix someone else. Now, I am going to end on a slightly lighter note. Some internet quotes I thought were helpful, and I saw as I was planning this. Don't judge someone because they sin differently to you. If you spend time praying for people instead of talking about them, you'll get better results. That's a really good one. I like that. But then I decided to make some of my own, so I hope you'll enjoy them. Log out before looking for microchips elsewhere. You might have to think about that one for a bit. And my favorite, sort out your private eye before inspecting others. Yeah, you know I like to play with words. Okay, well, as we've all heard, there's a beautiful new baby in our congregation called Micah. And for some reason, Mark and I are going back to the same verse to finish our sermons every week. And I didn't even realize it was the same verse from the same book of the same name, Micah. So as we close, let's read Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. When we walk humbly, we do not think of ourselves better than others. We recognize our own failings and we exercise justice through mercy and forgiveness. We give what we can there. When we walk humbly with God, we walk in self-awareness. Remember, this whole piece of teaching today can be summed up as get yourself right before you show others how to improve. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word that teaches us how to get the most out of life. Please forgive us for our negative judgmental thoughts and condemning words and thoughts against others. Thank you for your mercy over us. Help each one of us, Lord, be more merciful towards others and be more self-aware, giving kindness and forgiving with a generosity that is honoring to you. May we bless you, Lord, in the way we treat others every day and in every way. Amen. And now, just as I close, Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, from the Amplified, as a kind of benediction and go out and do it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, 
holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.